What's up, Oasis Church family, my online family? I'm so grateful that you guys are watching right now. This has been an amazing series. I really love what God is doing in this series called Family Values. At first, I was nervous about it. Like, who wants to hear about family values? And if I'm being honest, I tried to like, uh, you know, order them in the most exciting ones first, and maybe people would engage in the series. And the Holy Spirit was very clear that we were supposed to start with the value we give together. And I'm so encouraged about our church family who was that hyped to hear about giving. We actually had people who were in our church for the first time saying, I never really understood uh, biblical perspective about tithing, or they had triggers about giving the church growing up, and that God was able to heal that and open up their perspective to what does it really mean to give as a family. And so when we say we give together, we really mean that it is God's in original intent. We're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God so that as we give, we become more like God when we do so. And I really believe that something was released in our church in yesterday's message. So if you didn't have a chance to watch We Give Together Part 1, I want to encourage you to do that because We Give Together Part 1 and Part 2 is kind of like Star Wars films. They're so confusing if you don't understand each and every one. I tried to jump in on film number five recently, and I'm like, who is Anakin Skywalker? And Star Wars fans are so annoying. You don't know. They're so, they're so judged. The Star Wars fans are the Pharisees of films. They're judgmental and they're critical. You don't know who Anakin Skywalker is? How are you even alive? How did God allow you to be a pastor? Star Wars fans are some of the most offended people in the world. They don't allow you to ask questions during the film. Like, hold on, wait, I'm going to catch up. And uh, but real quick about Star Wars fans, I love how like they'll say uh, in the middle of the film, I don't like watching Star Wars films with other Star Wars people because they just always make me feel stupid because something so confusing will happen in the film and then they'll go, oh, that's why Luke Skywalker. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Anyway, that has nothing to do with my message, the little shade to Star Wars fans, but you get what I am saying. We, we give together. I really believe that these two uh, sermons are intimately connected and you really need to watch one to understand two. So uh, you won't be lost. Be encouraged. You won't be lost today, but I want to make sure that you jump back and watch We Give Together uh, part one. So I want to jump straight in this today because I'm excited, honestly. I feel like more, um, at first I felt like maybe the, the sermons about we give together would be more corrective in nature. But if you were here in person or the comments I got online or people who text me, the spirit of God hit our church when we talked about this subject. I've never seen that much energy in a church service. If you're here an in-person service in my life on a sermon about giving, the spirit fell, people were cheering, clapping, praising and worshiping God. And it was just so encouraging as a pastor that we could be in that place with a sermon that's ultimately about the heart of God when it comes to generosity. And so we give together part two. We're going to jump straight into scripture right now. If you have your Bibles, we'll put it on the screen for if you don't, turn to 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11. I believe that for the church today, this might be the most important scripture you can understand 
when it comes with the prosperity and blessing that God has ordained you to have. Let me just stop there for a second and say, God has ordained you to have it, but you have it through the processes, statues, and commandments of God that you take in and understand and obey not out of guilt or shame or fear, but obey out of your love for your Father in heaven. And so I really feel that something's gonna be released in our church even as I read this and haven't even got a chance to jump into the thoughts, I feel like the Lord has told me to share with you. Verse six says, remember this. Now, if a sermon starts with or a scripture starts with, remember this, that would lend itself to the thought that this might be easy to forget. And so what I'm about to read to you, the very first thing he wants you to do is make sure that you put it in your memory. How do we put things in our memory? We meditate. And so many of us are meditating on the wrong things. It's the meditations of our heart that are supposed to be pleasing to the Lord, the scripture says. So you only remember what you meditate on. And some of us remember so much, oh man, I'm going to be short on the rent because all we've been thinking about is that we're short on the rent. And I'm not here to not be compassionate about that, but I'm saying make sure you meditate on a scripture that God is your provider as you think about that you're not sure what the first of the month will look like. So your memory belongs to God. Can I just say that? Your memory belongs to God. Our bodies belong to God. Our thoughts belong to God. What if today we said from this day forward, my memory belongs to God? I could stop here and start preaching right now. The, the, the Israel community, the Jewish community does not even believe, the, the Orthodox Jewish community does not believe that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. They believe he was a good man. They believe he was a prophet. And they do not believe Jesus was his Lord and Savior. And they're still walking in blessing because of their memory. I have Jewish friends who still to this day sit down and gather and celebrate what God did in Egypt almost 4,000 years ago. They still ingrain it in the memories of their children. They have this one concept down that they remember all that God has done. And even though they didn't realize Jesus was the, the Messiah, they remember what God has done before Jesus. And they're still walking in blessing. What if us as believers in Jesus had the memory and by the way, we're grafted from their faith anyway. What if we had the memory that they had that we sat down and maybe not even celebrated what God did 4,000 years ago, but come on, somebody, we got to remember what God did four months ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, we forget that. It's like, it's like, come on, man. We, got, we can do better, church family. We can do better. It says, a, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. That's why I'm hoping you watched the visual in the sermon last week that I talked about planting seeds. So much of finances in the Bible are called seeds. Um, there's a lot of things that the Bible calls seeds, but there are two things that the Bible calls seeds consistently that is truth and money. And so we sow truth and we sow money. And I could stop there too. I think so many times we think we tell truth. No, we sow truth. And love is the plowing of the ground for the heart you're gonna sow truth into. So when you're telling the truth to someone you don't love, that is putting seeds in unplowed ground, which is why culture has, does not live by truth because the church has ceased to love. Wow. If we get better at love, we can plow the ground and seeds are truth and money is truth. And so anytime you talk about this, uh, this dynamic, you're going to hear about this agricultural context quite a bit. Think whenever you say see seeds, think, I wonder if he's talking about truth 
or money because this comes up a lot in scripture. It says a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And listen to verse number seven. You must decide in your heart how much to give. And it says uh, two ways that God doesn't appear to want money. He doesn't want you to give it reluctantly and he doesn't want you to give it in a response to pressure. So he doesn't want you to like, oh man, like nobody wants a gift like that, right? Like we don't, anybody ever given you a birthday gift and they go, oh geez, happy birthday. You know, we don't want to receive gifts like that and neither does God. And it says God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So he's breaking down what really is going to help us give together. And sometimes we say, yeah, we should give. It's in the Bible. No, no, no. It's not that it's in the Bible. I am really trying my best to never tell you again, do this because the Bible says so. That is not the way of New Testament action. The Bible says that we are letters from Christ and that the law is written on our hearts, not on tablets of stone. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, but on uh, pliable, responsive human hearts. And so the law has not been removed. It, it, It has a new location. It's not in the pages of scripture that the law is. God took the pages of scripture from the law and on the stones that uh, Moses, and by the way, this is important, that God has never ordained a human to write a law. And I understand some of us love to engage in politics and we should be in those spaces, but God has never said, you know what we need? We need a human to come up with a law that honors me. The commandments were written with the finger of God. So when you have the commandments or the law in your heart, it's literally God once again. When he said, let us make man in our image, he put his hands in dirt and created you and I. When God says, let us write the law on our hearts, he takes the fingers, the hand of God is on your life, and he molds what you and others would call dirt into someone who was tender and responsive to his laws and his words. We become the Ten Commandments, not written on stone, but in the human hearts of those who love Jesus. This creates a person who gives cheerfully, willingly, and God will generously provide all you need. And then it says, you'll have plenty left over and and, and to share with others. And as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. By who? Not by me, because I'm not going to be around forever. That seems like to have an eternal context. So now God is saying, if you remember this, and we're finite human beings. So he's probably not asking us to remember it for all of eternity. You notice that God is always giving you more than what you can give him. So even when he says, hey, remember this, you got to give. Don't give sparingly, give generously. And by the way, when you remember this, I'll remember you. But let me just up that a bit. I'm going to remember you forever. What if you just remembered God in a moment and God said, I'm going to remember you Forever, every scripture, no matter how harsh it sounds, somewhere if you dive into it with the Holy Spirit, you can find the generosity and kindness of God that leads to repentance. And then he goes on and says in verse 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide an increase. Somebody put in the chat, increase. 
increase your resources. Resources. What, it simply means to resource you. Like you're a source to your community. And when you give, he resources you. Wow. He replenishes you. Some of us want a reservoir, not a resource. A reservoir is a stored up thing. A resource is a constant level of replenishment. The way that you get more of it is by emptying it. When you extend your resources, God resources you because he wants you to be a source. Most Christians are living in a poverty mindset by believing somebody in the world is the source that they need in order to move forward. But God's saying, no, I've called you to be the head, not the tail. I'm making you the resource. And the only way you'll find out that you're a resource is by putting yourself in a situation where I have to resource. This is so good. I wish everybody could come through the screen and just start clapping. Somebody give me $10 right now. I've never done it, but I'm getting ready to accept a love offering if these servants keep getting this good. I've never done it before, but I'm close, y'all. These servants keep being this good. You might have to bring a $100 bill to the screen. I might, if I preach this good, I might have to, somebody put my Venmo in the chat. This is just good preaching. I can't do this for free. <laughs> oh, God, that is funny. That is literally a quote that I just said. This is good preaching. I shouldn't be doing this for free. You guys know my personality. I'm just joking. Um, he wants to make you a resource. He wants to make you a resource. And then produced a harvest of generosity in you. We love to say Christianese things like it's harvest season. But we think it's collecting. It's harvesty. No, harvest is God wants to create a harvest of generosity. And if you have enough to be generous, you have enough to be for you. He wants to make you a resource so he can see a harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Always. Can you imagine you only say no because you think you should say no, not because you have to? You know how much resources you would have to have? This is the heart of the generous person. So you always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. This is probably one of the biggest verses of prosperity in, um, uh, I've ever seen. It's something my wife and I live by. And most people say, oh, here comes a voice again. You shouldn't give to God to, to, to get you should give to God because you love him. You know, it needs to come from your heart. You shouldn't give to God to receive anything. David killed Goliath and said, hey, what do I get if I kill this giant? The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six that those who come to God must believe two things, that he exists and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when we say that we don't give to get, we're saying that we don't give to get immediately, that God will absolutely test your diligence to see if you're really seeking him or you're seeking the thing you want him to give. But God is a rewarder of those. God is a prosperous God. He, he, loved, he put Joseph in charge of the money. Matter of fact, Judas was in charge of the money. 
And the Bible says he was the treasurer. So God, the streets are paved with gold in heaven. In, 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 in the, the Garden of Eden, the Bible says there were four rivers, and one of the rivers, the Pashan, had gold there. But when there's God's presence there, people aren't consumed with pursuing things. God is a God that desires people to be prosperous. And I literally did a sweeping Bible study of the word prosperity in the Bible because I really believe it's coming to our church and I believe that it's coming to this city, and I believe it's coming to me personally. Somebody say amen. But prosperity, we just kind of always thinks it means money or what our personal desires are. And um, prosperity is not a solution for lack. Um, following Jesus is a solution for lack. It says, I, I, I follow the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. <clears throat> so a feeling of lack means that I'm being shepherded by something other than Jesus. I'm being led by my emotions. I'm being led by what's not in my bank account. I'm being led by a politician. I'm being led by my anger. I'm being led by something other than Jesus because the moment you are led by Jesus, it produces a feeling that I don't lack anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So one of the things that God wants to heal in the human heart is that prosperity is not the, not the solution to lack. Jesus and following him is the solution to lack. Prosperity is the solution to the needs of the community around you. And when we're not thinking about our community, we're not thinking about our family, we're not thinking about our church, we lose sight of it. We think that prosperity is a solution for me. No, prosperity is a solution for the community. The Bible would promise in Deuteronomy 28 that he's going to bless Israel and he would say, remember, there will always be poor among you take care of your poor. So once God gives you responsibility, uh, prosperity, he also gives you the poor people around you as a responsibility. Prosperity means responsibility in the kingdom of God. And so how I can prepare you for prosperity is to prepare you for responsibility. One of the things that I will say uh, in church, the reason why we don't Come, we come and we go. We don't want to be a part of a church family. We don't want to give. We don't want to serve. It's because we don't want to be held responsible and accountable. Wow. And therefore, we are rejecting prosperity because you cannot have a prosperous person, prosperous person that isn't walking in responsibility and accountability. And so I started looking up like the Hebrew words of prosperity and the Greek words. And why is this important? It's because we have 600 million English words. We have a word for everything. But as you get into the Hebrew and the Greek, I mean, Hebrew um, many Hebrew scholars say that uh, the Hebrew language had under 10,000 words and the English language has 400,000 words. So words have to mean multiple things um, based off the context they're used. And so I looked up the Hebrew words for prosperity and one of the Hebrew words for prosperity can be acceleration. Acceleration. If you're here in purpose, uh, in person, we got a prophetic word about God is gonna do something in half the time. And that was a prophetic word that I got. But then as I looked up the word prosperity, it does mean acceleration. One of the Hebrew words for prosperity is sahlak, sahlak. And it means acceleration. Um, or one of many meanings is acceleration. Genesis 24, verse 56 says this, but he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And as you break down that Hebrew word, obviously it means a lot of cool things. But one of the things he was trying to say 
was do not delay me since the Lord has decided to accelerate something for me. So prosperity is acceleration. Prosperity is not you getting something now. And some of you are frustrated because you've been at something five years. But I want to encourage you, what if waiting five years for something is actually prosperity because it's supposed to be 20? And we're complaining about five years when God's like, hey, it was supposed to be 20, but it's five. So that's why the fruit of the Spirit must be patience, which is waiting with a good attitude for what God wants to give because a day is a thousand years to God. So he's saying, uh, write the vision down and make it plain, he says in Haggai, because it's coming quickly. And then we go, five months? Because that's, yeah, no, it's coming quickly. It's coming, y'all. Here we go. 400 years from now, your great, great, great grandson is going to be, wait, hold on, because God is always dealing in generations. So whatever prosperity he's coming, he's going to do something that's going to affect your son, your grandson, your great-granddaughters. That's actual biblical prosperity is an acceleration. And also, to use that same analogy, biblical uh, prosperity is a deceleration of judgment day. The Bible says God is slow to anger. So it's a deceleration. So if you are living far from God, and you're not doing anything God wants you to do in your life right now, there is grace for you, but your season is not praying for accelerated blessings. Your season is thanking God for decelerated anger and wrath. Jesus dying on the cross decelerated the wrath of God in our lives as believers. So prosperity is acceleration and deceleration. Sometimes we're not living for God, and God is decelerating anger. The Bible says he's patient to send Jesus for the second coming because he desires everyone to be saved. So time frames are a blessing. One of the first things God ever called holy in the Bible is time. He said, set apart this time, this day, for I've called to be holy. One of the things biblical prosperity can be is acceleration. Is that encouraging for anybody who's believing God to speed things up in their life or thank him for slowing things down in their life? Another word for biblical prosperity from this deeply profound Hebrew word is forced entry. Forced entry. Can you believe that? Forced entry. I'm like looking up the Hebrew word and I'm losing my mind. Micah, verse 2 through 13 says this, the one who breaks open the way will go before them. And the one is capitalized representing Jesus. They will break through the gate and go out. The king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. So certain things we love to shout breakthrough in the church, but there are certain things that the, the spiritual realm literally has to break through in order to you. It's forced entry. Other uh, scriptures say that the kingdom of God advances forcefully, forcefully. So it's almost like certain things that God does take force. Here's how we know this to be true, because as you study the scriptures, every single time that God said his name when it came to tithing, and I'm encouraged by the amount of people that I believe had committed to tithing. Every single time he says the name of the Lord, he says the Lord of the heaven's armies. He doesn't say the Lord of grace. The Lord, he says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. So in Malachi 3.10, y'all, the verse about tithing, every time God uses his name, he uses his military name because he's trying to bring you prosperity through forced entry. 
This is so important. We love to talk about Joshua and entering into the promised land. And we think that entering into the promised land is God giving us something. No, warriors got what God had for them. Joshua went into Jericho with forced entry. So prosperity can be forced entry. Another thing biblical prosperity can be, I looked at this word, is order. Order or aligning priorities with the kingdom. And so sometimes your prosperity is God putting things in order. If you are pursuing businesses and your wife feels disconnected from you, God will say, I'm I'm about to bring you prosperity. The prosperity is order. God is a God of order. Even now, when when he created the heavens and the earth, and ultimately, um, before he created the Garden of Eden, which was the place of prosperity for Adam and Eve, he put things in order. The Bible says that the, the earth was void and without form. The place he wanted to put Adam and Eve in was out of order. And even a judge who is not a righteous judge like King Jesus, if you you go left in a courtroom, they yell, you're out of order. So Jesus has the right to hit the gavel in your life and go, this is out of order. Your priority is out of order. He's not just our Savior and our Lord. He's the righteous judge. And sometimes they hit the gavel and go, you're out of order. I need you to listen to me. I need you to understand what I'm trying to tell you. And typically when the, the judge has to do that, someone's frustrated and someone's angry. Yes, you have the right to be frustrated and angry, but God also has the right to say you're out of order. I'm going to put your life in order. Matthew 6.33 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Righteous living is order. So yes, I want to bless you. Yes, I want to bring you prosperity, but we got to live right. Let me put you in order. This is why this is important. Solomon blew up. I mean, he was like rapper rich. He was like Shaq rich. I mean, he just Warren Buffett rich. That boy was balling out of control. He just, he had so much money, he didn't know what to do with it. Like, and, and notice he had a, he, he started tripping when he got money. David at the height of his ministry start tripping when he had money. Judas was collecting the money and he was the one who tripped out. Nebuchadnezzar got rich and he started taking all the credit. The story goes on and on and on again about, and even the Bible says it's easier for a, a, a rich a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And this is why God sometimes doesn't allow you to walk, to walk in true prosperity. I want you to write this down. Prosperity helps you discover your advices. Excuse me. Prosperity helps you discover your vices. Adversity helps you discover your virtue. So when you are in a season of order, God will typically give you adversity because adversity helps you discover your virtue. We want him to give us prosperity, but he can't because prosperity will help you discover your vices. You actually have more vices and some of y'all are walking in blessing and it's like you have more, the vices are manifesting now because that's what prosperity does. One person who's not even a believer said that money makes you more of what you already are before you got it. So if you're generous, you're going to be more generous. We got to stop saying, yeah, when I get some money, man, I'm hooking everybody up. Do you hook everybody up now? Brother can't even get a lemonade from you. And you act like you're going to buy him a lemon tree when you get rich. You're not. Like it brings out our vices. Money is, the love of money is the root of all evil. And so if the love of money is the root of all evil, the devil must love money. And so when we're loving money, we must be most like the devil when we love money. If he said the love of money is the root of all evil, we must be most like the devil when we're loving 
money. Like I really got to get this. So God would not want to give you something that turns you into someone who got cast down from heaven. And by the way, this is how hard it is. Sometimes I can be discouraged or we can be discouraged when, you know, people are not in our life or this happens or everything's changing. But hey, the Bible says God lost a third of heaven with the sweep of a dragon's tail. If you still have 66% of your friends, you're doing better than God was in heaven because he lost a third. That is literally what the prosperity of, even the prosperity of heaven itself turned Lucifer the angel into Satan the accuser. So what I'm telling you is that prosperity turns angels to demons. And so you better be able to deal with those little foxes. Where's my Venmo? Because I feel like preaching. You better deal with the little foxes. Why would God give a big demon to someone who's getting beat up by a little one? That's mercy and grace. So some of us, our lack of funds and our lack of resources are God's mercy because the prophet Biggie said, mo money, mo problems. That's what he said. He wasn't a prophet. He was a rapper, but you get what I'm saying? <laughs> prosperity is order. Biblical prosperity is also a reward for generosity. Proverbs says 11. This is why we give together. Proverbs 11, 25, 24 and 25 said, one person gives freely yet gains even more. That's the resource that we talked about in in 2 Corinthians, another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Uh, and unduly means they shouldn't have withheld it. And I want to free somebody up from that friend who keeps blowing them up for the same thing over and over again, but they won't let you look at their budget and look at their finance. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the things that are unduly. We're not giving because we're afraid to give. We're not giving because we think that God is not going to move or, or those things like that. It says one person withholds yet comes to poverty. Verse 25 says a generous person who will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed, will be refreshed. Biblical prosperity can also be gaining godly understanding, godly understanding. Jeremiah 10, um, 21 says this, the shepherd of my people have lost their senses. They've lo- they no longer seek wisdom from the Lord. Therefore, they will fail completely. So sometimes when we're failing at something, it's because we're seeking to gain something that we think is more valuable to us than understanding. Why is this important to understand all of these different things? And I hope that you're writing it down because some of you are in a season of acceleration. Some of you are in a season of forced entry. Some of you are a season of order. Some of you are a season where God is going to reward the generosity you've been walking in. Some of you need to just gain godly understanding and you're aligning your understanding with cultural views, not biblical ones. And the enemy is going to use that to destroy your prosperity and the plans that God has for you. Um, and I, I feel like we need to know this. And there's other things that I just didn't have time to get into, but maybe we'll do a part three. But what I did feel is like if, if biblical prosperity is something God um, has spoken over our church and we need to be mindful what that really means, that it's not just money, then what are the enemies of generosity and prosperity? And I believe the enemy of generosity and prosperity at its core is anxiety and fear anxiety and fear. Luke 12, verse 22 through 34 says, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, 
nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens that they neither sow or reap, that they neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? In other translations, he'll go, uh, how much more valuable are you than the sparrows? I remember, um, I've never actually shared this testimony on camera because it's kind of, or in person, because it's kind of weird. And, but it happened to me. Um, at my brokest point, I was so broke. Like, I couldn't pay bills. I couldn't put gas in my car. I barely put gas in my car now, thanks to $7 a gallon. But I'm saying, like, I couldn't put gas in my car when gas was $3 a gallon. Like, it was bad. Just broke and poor. And I had, I had what I would call prosperity, and, and it was gone. It was swept away. And I was so discouraged. And I was going to a job in Thousand Oaks. And this was, like, 2009. It wasn't even that long ago. I was going to a job in Thousand Oaks, and I pulled up to this job that was paying me 12 bucks an hour. And I just said in my heart, this is why people don't follow you. This is why people don't follow you. And as I'm saying this heart, and I have tears in my eyes, and I'm too upset to even go into the office and make these cold calls and get yelled at and hung up on, a bird landed on the window of my car. And at the time, I was not like studying the Bible yet like I do now. And when I'm telling you it landed, it, there was no room for it to land. It actually almost, I, it made a thud as it hit the window and it was like perched up on the window, like staring at me. And I was like, this is so weird. Why is this bird right here on my windowsill, like in my car? I thought maybe it was going to fly in my car. And so I get out of the car and I go to the office and I like kind of like roll up my window and it flies off. And I go in the office and I just have this thing. I wonder what kind of bird that was. And I looked it up and it was a sparrow. And then I just Googled scriptures on sparrows. And it was the Lord cares for the sparrow. And I'm just at my desk bawling. Like, won't he also care for you? And I'm just crying. People are like, you good? Yeah, I'm good, man. Just read a Bible verse on sparrows, man. Like, oh, you know. Liz at work, all embarrassed. So I leave, I go to work, everything's cool. And I come back to work the next day and I'm driving on the one-on-one, get ready to make my cold calls. And I'm like, how broke are you? Where you had to have a bird land on your car. God ain't gonna look out for you. You just broke and you, now you're just looking for animals to try to encourage you. You ain't Dr. Doolittle. You a broke brother. You know what I mean? Like you ain't, you just broke. You just broke. And the... You try to act like you're Dr. Doolittle, and brother, you just broke. That's what the enemy told me. The enemy literally told me, you ain't Dr. Doolittle, you just broke. That's what he said. Quote, hashtag Satan. That's what it said. And I'm like, pull up to this spot. My windows rolled down again, and I pull up to the parking spot the next day. And when I tell you, this is a very true story, the same bird landed at the same spot 24 hours later, and I burst into tears. And I made a covenant with God I would never worry about money again. And I have not since. And he's done every single thing he said he would do. And I want to speak over you. If the Lord cares for the sparrows, some bird that we would walk past, how much more will he care for you? He says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And it says, consider the lilies, how they grow that they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. 
For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. He talks about anxiety, and then he talks about fear. He says, fear not, which anxiety simply means to be divided, to be pulled in different directions. So if I had more time to do a visual, it would be, you know, um, um, the rent is pulling you this way. Um, what's going on in your family is pulling you this way. Uh, uh, what's going on in your community is pulling you this way. What's happening in Ukraine is pulling you this way. And, 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 and what you see online, COVID is pulling you this way. And the masks are pulling you this way. And by the time you get done, you're literally being pulled in so many different directions that you're anxious. So when we are followers of the way, and that's why I think calling us Christians is, is a reductive statement. We're followers of the way. The real way to be a Christian is only one person can pull me in a direction, and that is Jesus. War can't pull me in a direction. COVID can't pull me in a direction. My finances can't pull me in a direction. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He is the one who sets my direction. Psalm 37 says God delights in our way. God sets the direction and the path and nothing else can pull me in any direction. So if you're here today and you're watching online and you're being pulled in multiple different directions, reclaim the direction of your life and say only God can set the direction of my life. And then he goes on in verse 32 and says, fear not, which is translated to, to run, to flee. So when he's saying, don't be afraid, he's just saying, don't run. I know you're in a situation where you feel like running, but he's just saying, don't run. It means to run or be frozen by fear. Don't run and don't freeze. Don't, it's flight or freeze is what it means. Don't run, don't freeze. What do I mean by that? We give together. If you're in a situation where you're concerned about finances, don't run from, don't run from your situation. God is going to be with you. And don't freeze, meaning don't do nothing. Give something. Show the kingdom of darkness that you cannot be pulled in opposite directions. That God is your shepherd and you shall not want. You lack nothing. This is powerful. If you actually look, he continues to say, Challenge them, sell your possessions, give it to needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. We broke down the biblical perspective of the tithe, and I want to challenge you with a biblical perspective of the offering that I am prophesying is going to happen in our church inside the next 20 years, and it's 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, where Paul said, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up to give to the church is what he's saying, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I am prophesying, believing, and praying that inside the next 20 years, Oasis Church will never collect another offering in a service, that people will give out of the power of the Holy Spirit, not out of a three-minute offering moment where they're convinced to. And I don't know when that's going to happen over the next 20 years, but this is what I'm believing for. Isaiah 32, and we'll close with this, verse 8, for those of us who are really marked by this idea that God would desire us to be uh, prosperous in many more ways than just money. It says, be generous. I mean, excuse me, but generous people plan to do what's generous. They stand firm in their generosity. 
So before I pray for you, I want you to write down this thought. Don't dream to be generous. Plan to be generous. Um, sometimes prosperity means that you can be generous without a plan. Um, but even a person who would deem themselves to be in poverty can be generous with a plan. Poverty, you need a plan. Dream, you don't. Don't dream to be generous. Plan to be generous. And so, Father in heaven, we thank you for this amazing church community um, that really, I believe the Holy Spirit is imparting these family values to our community and that we truly will give together, that we will no longer have people giving in isolation or people giving um, um, and not be a part of a community, that we will be together and then we will give together. And so for somebody that's watching online right now, you're supposed to come back to the church. Like that's like literally, like figuratively we give together as a community, but literally you're supposed to come to church in the next couple of weeks. I understand there are people who are immunocompromised or it's not good for them to come and be in person, but somebody's watching right now that needs to come and literally give together, uh, be in the house of God. And we ask that you move on their hearts to do so. And so Father, uh, plow any hard hearts that would get in the way of walking in true biblical prosperity. We believe you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And, and as we give together, I want to encourage you maybe for the first time, uh, week after week, we've been having uh, 15 to 20 givers decide that they're going to give for the very first time. That is so inspiring. We have an opportunity this month to reach uh, 80 people who have never given before begin this journey of generosity. How cool is that? And so if you'd like to give, you can go to oasisla.org forward slash give or on the PushPay app. And I really believe somebody right now watching is going to give in this moment for the very first time. And my heart would be that no one would give nothing. Maybe you can just, uh, God's speaking to you to tithe, or maybe you're going to just give for the first time, or maybe you're going to give consistently every month. But I believe that God is increasing the responsibility of our church community because remember prosperity takes accountability and responsibility hold yourself responsible for being a part of this community and giving in this way so as you do that just know it blesses and honors god and we love you so much and can't wait to see you soon